3: Your oh <laughs> Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast. You are listening to myself, Ayan, Anya who is sitting across from me on her phone, naughty girl, and George who is wearing some kick ass top. What's that top? It's a Sri Lanka T-shirt. Oh my! I I'm think like, it's cricket ah, though. But do you I even
4: saw it in the op shop the other watch day? Watch like, cricket. I I ha- I was gonna swear then. I hate cricket. <laughs> oh
0: my god. So much. Why? It's I so love boring. cricket. It's
4: like watching grass grow. No, that's fact. Am I alone there? No, no, you're not. I
3: 100 percent agree. You're out of the bronze club. Goodbye. Look at the T-shirt.
4: It's I wish nice. I could show the listeners. Yeah. Photo.
3: No, you need to take a photo and mm. put it up on Instagram. <laughs> we want our audiences to be following. So, Anywho.
4: Sunday, mm. there was a really cool event by the sounds of it.
3: Yeah. Um, I went to
0: the rap party, which I later found out is rhythm and poetry. Mm-hmm. Or it could be rap and poetry. It <laughs> could be either one. Um It was um, hosted by Candy Bowers. Bowers. Love Candy Bowers. Incredible Candy Bowers. And uh, there was a a lineup of amazing poets and musicians, including um, Lani Yook, Emily Zoe Baker, Sean Whelan, and and so on. And it was just a very fun, intimate, beautiful night. Um, And... Yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard to explain what it was about, I think, but mm. it was so good,
3: and you guys missed out. I know. I know. I was supposed to come, and I feel so bad, but I ended up, at least I gave my tickets to mm. yeah. to two people, which is, look at me being so generous. <laughs> <laughs> so is it something that
4: will happen, like, is it a regular thing?
0: I hope so. I heard that it was the first one to happen here mm. in, in Australia, so hopefully there'll be more.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm so we'll it's like a ch- rap meets poetry meets hip-hop oh mm. <laughs> <laughs> damn it uh,
4: yeah anything that candy bowers has to
3: do with would definitely be and she's so sick. funny yeah oh my god were you
4: yeah. there when we interviewed it? was that a while uh, no. i think oh no this mm-hmm. is before you mm-hmm. came on, yeah. yeah i think that's
3: one of the number one oh, interviews on Tuesday Breaky. i guess a boss boy. yeah yeah and if you see her like live in theater she's mm. she's incredible she's got such a presence funny mm. s- sassy mm. quick
0: mm. are you describing yourself? <laughs> yeah
3: well mm-hmm, I am reading my bio <laughs> So, um, some news headlines.
4: Mm. So, this one's taken from CBC News. In Canada, Indigenous Services Minister Jane Philpott said on Friday that the federal government plans to hand over control of child welfare services to Indigenous governments in an effort to drive down the massive number of Indigenous children in foster care. Phil Pott, standing alongside First Nations national leaders, said forthcoming federal legislation co-developed with Indigenous leaders will devolve authority to First Nations peoples to care for their own children in need for foster care. It's a departure for how the current system works, which leaves most Indigenous kids housed in a provincially governed child welfare system that critics say are inattentive to their unique needs. While just 7.7% of all children under 14 are Indigenous, they account for 52.2% of all children in foster care. The the enabling legislation will be introduced in the House of Commons in early 2019. Indigenous leaders expressed hope that the bill would be passed before the federal election next fall. From ABC News, the mental health situation on Nauru is equivalent to that of victims of torture. Uh, Medicine Sans Frontier has said in what it describes as the first independent medical data on mental health conditions on the island. MSF treats 208 asylum seekers and refugees in, um, in, has treated in the 11 months its medical staff were on Nauru until they were expelled by that nation's government in October. MSF says offshore processing is to blame for the poor mental health on Nauru Independent Karen Phelps plans to table a bill to bring asylum seekers to Australia for treatment, and MSF says (coughs) the bill does not go far enough and everyone should be removed from the island. Um, From Radio New Zealand, more than 500 people have been arrested in India over the weekend after mass Papuan independence demonstrations became violent. On Saturday, thousands of Papuans across the city marked the fifty seventh anniversary since the Papuan warning star flag was first flown officially. In Surabaya, where one of the biggest rallies took place, video show, shows Papuans clashing with opposition groups. The Jakarta Post reports that at least seventeen people were injured with photos circulating of bloody heavy wounds but bloody head wounds, sorry. Uh, and human rights groups are calling for any people remaining in custody, custody to be released.
0: And this is from The Age, a royal commission will be held into Victoria Police's mismanagement of several high-profile gangland investigations, Premier Daniel Andrews has announced. In what is considered one of Victoria's biggest legal scandals, it was revealed on Monday that a female criminal barrister operated as Informer 3838 from 2005 to 2009, giving police information about notorious drug lord Tony Mockbell and his associates, as well as hundreds of other criminals. As a result, the Office of Public Prosecutions can now notify underworld figures, including Mockbell and Associated Drug Trafficker Rob Karam, that their lawyer was a police informer. Those criminals could appeal their convictions and could walk out of jail or have sentences reduced. Director of Public Prosecutions Carrie Judd said she had written to 20 people in relation to their prosecutions. The government said that the High Court's decision threw doubt on whether several convictions occurred fairly and in accordance with the law. This is wild. Did anyone follow this story? No. It's a total, it's just a textbook example of confidentiality breach. And I just don't even understand how this happened. Mm. But
3: it's happened, and
0: yeah, yeah, I think the Royal Commission would be exciting to watch and see.
3: Oh, we're definitely watching. Yeah. (laughs) Any criticism of the police is (laughs) A-OK by me.
0: The City of Stonington presents Carols at Como Park. Join host Shane Jacobson for an evening featuring performances by Casey Donovan and many more. Bring along a picnic and celebrate under the stars with a riverside pyrotechnic display to conclude the night. Carols at Como Park, Sunday, December 16, from 7.30pm. See the City of Stonington website for more details. A 3CR supporter.
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. Just a correction, I think I might have said India instead of Indonesia when talking about the West Papuan
0: protests on the weekend. So just to clarify that, apologies for that. Um, we might play you a song. It's called mister Ladi Ladi daddy by Baker Boy.
3: Mm-hmm. I got my fancy fan, the only currency you
5: understand God damn.
2: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law
6: Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays.
7: Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy, just go to our website 3cr.org.au and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5 and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in
0: 7.30am every Sunday morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR um, with Ayan, myself, Anya and George. Next up, what do we have, George? So we've got a little audio. It's
4: in two parts. It's some little interviews that Anya and I did at
0: the Prison Abolition Conference in Brisbane. Mm. Organised by Sisters Inside. We were the worst people to do a <laughs> box parts. We were so scared of interrupting people yeah. or bothering them. But it also felt like... You know, people. Those the emotions were so high, and people yeah. were just, you know, taking time for themselves outside of workshops or conferences, and it was really hard to go and be like, "Hey, <laughs> so <laughs> tell us all your thoughts." But we did, yes, and people did tell us their thoughts. Yeah,
4: and in hindsight, we could have done it a lot more, but the ones that we did get, I think, were pretty fantastic. Mm.
0: Yeah, and we we're arranging for the audio from the actual panels to um come through as well so we'll play them at some point when yeah. we do get them but for now
4: and so many interview I mean I think it's mentioned in the first section um how how great it would be to get interview with the grandmothers against mm. removals. Yeah. Um but there are so many people that yeah hopefully we'll be able to line up and just
0: have those interviews with yeah. over the next couple of months. They seemed really keen to come on. Yeah. Except the poor grandmothers were so tired. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It
4: was really hot as yeah. kind of <laughs> <I can>
0: imagine <laughs> All right, so we'll go to that now. George and um, Anya here. We're here for the Sisters Inside Imagining Abolition Conference in Brisbane, um, and we're currently gathering to go to a protest. Um, and we're going
6: to be talking to a few people. No
5: justice, no peace, no racist, police. We are
6: here from Shut Youth Prisons as a little delegation of people. Um, we came from Ellis Springs together with a Strong Grandmothers group from the Central Desert region to make connections and uh, talk about a variety of ways to realize abolition and especially in relation to juvenile detention and how to make sure that none not a single kid ever will be locked up in a cage ever again it's actually really interesting to share a space with people that share like a radical belief like that because speaking about abolition is something that gets uh, missed, you know, not as much in like maybe mainstream media or places like that um, and as like a speaker just now, what was her name? Janet?
7: Gina? Gina, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
6: You know, we're saying that even if you have like very radical beliefs, that still people sort of feel like an attachment to detention or to like uh, a form of punishment somehow, which is really strange because don't we all believe that people need to be healed and the trauma is there to be resolved instead of being like locked into a space somewhere but obviously there's no healing to be gained yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so and i think that's really beautiful to find a space where people share their belief and how oh it's been actually really inspiring but also very like full-on you know to hear all these experiences of different people from different walks of life and going through the same things and um the oppression that comes with it and obviously like the emphasis on uh, indigenous incarceration and the high rates of that in this country are just mind-blowing, intense, and to have a big emphasis on that has been really uh, beautiful. And I think, especially in relation to the group that we're with, and because uh, 100% of the kids in juvenile detention in the Northern Territory are di- uh, Indigenous, which is like a humanistic crisis, you know. So uh, to get, um, yeah, to have been in this space and talk about those things is pretty special. Yeah. Hmm. All right. It
8: was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I've got anything else to say, but um, for me, coming to this conference as part of Shah Sha Youth Prisons and uh, uh, coming to support the strong grandmothers of the Central Desert region, uh, it's been, yeah, just like SAR says, amazing to be around other abolitionists uh, where First Nation voices have been preferenced and prioritised, and uh, to, to hear lived experiences. And to hear people talking, like, constructively about how everything is connected, like how Angela Davis always talks so beautifully about intersectionalism and that idea of until everyone is free, none of us are free. That um, to imagine a world where everyone, like, feels feels like they can belong and feels... Well, to imagine a world of freedom is to talk about revolution. Yeah, and so... Those are very, like, beautiful threads that have gone through Um, hearing about people's suffering, um, both in childhood and during prison times, is very real. And to see, like, how, like, strong women are who have, like, uh, pulled themselves through, like, horrific situations and have, like, they talk, you know, some of them talked about how, like, realising that inner strength and bringing it out, that was always there, but they couldn't see before and and then talking about you know how deb kilroy talks about um breaking down the walls of the prison to build bridges and everyone being in it together and working together to fuck, fuck off this state incarcerative system it's been really great yeah, yeah?
6: um i could add i would like to add something to that i actually forgot who said it but um, which is, like, speaking of the conference in itself as well, like, the emphasis lied a lot uh, as, like, what is a resolution? is like, coming together, and if you hear uh, women who've been going through these horrible experiences say that finding a community and finding support has been their healing and it's being so empowering and finding strength to actually fight for women who are still inside or suffering from all for forms that this prison industrial complex sort of takes and that this conference sort of does that, actually, you know, bringing that community together has just been really... Um, exactly what it is about mm-hmm. yeah and the emphasis on uh, imagination as she said yeah, is yeah. really beautiful yeah. Yeah. Um, and also I would really like to add that, um, we w- that, I, that we would prefer to let a grandmother speak about this but they're really tired at the moment everyone is just you know after a few days so just want to really acknowledge that fact that you know although we are shot youth prisons it would have been preferred for them but at the moment they're just really fatigued.
8: <laughs> but they're always really happy to do phone interviews if you don't yeah, catch them yeah, yeah, here, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you. Like, a lot in there are lots of grandmothers who weren't able to come this time um, but they're up there everyone's got phone numbers. So. Thank
1: you so much. Did you
4: all speak to yeah. 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 But
1: about something that's not really such yeah.
5: yeah, okay.
1: But, um, more just an experience of the conference. Um, I, yeah, it was really great to see, to hear Angela Davis talk about how oppressions intersect, um, and specifically like acknowledge and name um, the fact that there's trans, um, non-binary, and queer um, people who are in prison which is something that I don't think we've seen enough of... Well, we've seen none of at this conference um, this year. Um, but it's really important, because a lot of people who are in prison... I mean, talking about women in prison specifically, um, sometimes, you know, half half of a prison population can be... of a women's pr- prison population can be identified as queer or bi or lesbian. Um, and that's really important that we... At least acknowledge and visualise the experiences of yeah. queer women in prison. Um, and then the experiences of trans women and sister girls and people of non Western genders in prisons is just so much more horrific than the experiences of women, cis women in women's prisons because many trans women and um, sister girls are kept in men's prisons. Like PJ yeah. yeah. Um, and there's people, there's, there's many experiences people can find on the internet. Um, there's one sister girl who was in prison um, and had a horrific time in a men's prison, but she's out now. Um, her name's Liz Moores Lily. And after she was released from prison, she then was diagnosed with breast cancer. So she has a crowd funder at the moment. It's been going for like seven months or something um, and it just is such a hard slog to get money to support, um, trans women and sister girls for anything, especially, um, trans women and sister girls who've been in prison. And it would be really great for, next, for the, the next conference if there were voices of sister girls and trans women who've been in prison, um, because that's when you really start to understand how the prison system, um, impacts women, um... And people who are marginalized by this Western colonial capitalist patriarchal binary gender system. Um and you know, it really enables us to talk about how all these things are connected in in ways that Angela Davis um spoke so well about in her speech. Yeah. Um, how yeah. it's
8: like gendered violence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then maintain the gender violence. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, she
1: talked about how it solidified the binary system. Yeah, I thought that was really... Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. for, you know, um, feminists, if organisations consider themselves feminists and are working to support women, then they also need to be working to support trans women, trans femmes and sister girls, and people of non-Western genders in prisons. Um, And that includes, you know, not just having programs that support... Um, people coming out of women's prisons but also looking at where are other women being held not all women are held in women's prisons Um, and how can we support them I would
8: also say, as you would too that trans-mask people also need to be supported by feminist systems because it's the patriarchy which sets these rigid rules of gender and so all people who don't fit into that system yeah, feminism needs to look after.
5: Yeah. yeah? yeah. And I guess
4: an, an abolitionist movement has the kind of framework to include all of those yeah. people's experiences. But then there's also, you know, I guess when you mention this conference, there is more work to do to make sure that actually happens. Yeah.
5: yeah it's
1: it's one thing to acknowledge. Like I think um, there are three, you know, there's Angela Davis mentioned trans um, pres- pres- trans stuff, and Debbie Killroy acknowledged. Um, had a couple of vague acknowledgements of trans people who are present at the conference and in prisons. Um, but, you know, to really, it's just very tokenistic if there's just a couple of mentions. We really need to get the voices of trans women um, who've been incarcerated and sister girls who've been incarcerated into these spaces and really disrupt the cis normativity and heteronormativity that can creep in.
6: Um, I would just really like to add on behalf of shut youth prisons that everything that Nick just mentioned about the missing out of a mentioning of queer and trans and non-binary people who suffer from this, you know, capitalist uh, system uh, that there has not been much mentioning or any workshops or anything around that at this conference that we from shut youth prisons really support that and would like to see that maybe in coming conferences. Thank you.
9: My name is Sarah. I work in housing and I work with women who are currently in custody in the state of Victoria. I'm here because I work in the prison system in Melbourne. I work at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and I try and work with the women to get housing upon release. Um, I think the main reason I'm here is to learn from others and to be re-inspired in a system that can be very oppressive.
0: How have you found the conference so far?
9: It's been amazing. Um, I've learnt a lot from the amazing women here. Um, I've definitely been (laughs) re-inspired. And I'm finding ways to make my own practice and my own work more meaningful, to work for the women, with the women, and also to, unfortunately, work with the carceral system because while... I think abolition is something to strive for, it's not going to happen tomorrow, and it's not going to work for the women who are in at the moment, so that's what I'm going to try and work on, so really working with rather than working for.
5: Yes the
2: summer! Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park, and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, we're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper. By the-
5: I hear something say, "Water, I'm thirsty, my, my work is so hard, oh, oh. My, my, my. my, 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 work is so hard." Oh,
4: oh, oh. Mm. So, so. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, and we just heard the beautiful Sam Cooke with the song Chain Gang. And before that, we heard, um, and it was included in that audio, a song by the late Charles Bradley singing with the Menahan Street Band, uh, a cover of Slip Away.
2: What we're dealing with here is a total lack.
0: Hi, I'm Maurice.
9: And I'm Mario.
1: And we're Chronically, Chronically chilled. chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives.
3: Listen to Chronically Chilled the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. Say it
2: loud, say it clear. Refugees are welcome here.
10: Say it
5: loud, say it clear. Refugees are welcome here. Say it loud, say it clear. Refugees are welcome here. Say it loud, say it clear. Refugees
2: are welcome here. Say it loud, say it clear. Refugees are welcome here. Say it loud, say it clear. So we're going to play the
4: part two of our audio from the Imagining Prison Abolition Conference up in Brisbane. And this, uh, this part is with Sky, who is, uh, well, she'll tell you a bit about herself, so we'll play that now.
7: My name's Sky, I'm a proud Ghanai-Khanai-Ruradjuri Yorta Yorta woman from Melbourne. Um, I'm not doing anything with my life right now. I'm a city DJ. I play at nightclubs. Really? Yeah. See, so, we yeah, we'll have to come yeah, to down. Yeah. I've been hosting POC and queer parties down in Melbourne.
4: So,
7: um, how has the conference been for you so far? It's been really, really, really good. Um, I think just the importance of, obviously, what we're all here for today, but um, being able to recognise sort of the things that you kind of overlook in life because we are taught as an individual and as a community alone, as black women to be extremely strong in situations so kind of taking a step back and sort of seeing this as like a self-care recognition in that we don't have to take these sort of things and we don't have to take these sort of things on because we have been built up so extremely strong that we kind of don't take the time to look after ourselves Mm -hmm. and worry about the things that affect us individually. Is that a good answer? Yeah. yeah. And it does seem like there has been a lot
4: of a focus on healing for people that know people that have been incarcerated or have been incarcerated, and that it's not just about information and facts, but also sharing those experiences, which seems so powerful.
7: Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Um, I think for me personally... Coming from, like, most young Indigenous women, we do experience having that sort of presence of, like, the effects of what prison can do to a whole community. Like, it doesn't affect somebody on a personal level, you know, you're just getting put away. Um, For me, it's our community in terms of a lot of our young people are getting locked up. And having people already who've been serving time, they've been in and out of jail, and sort of reckon- we we know as people that it does nothing for us. It makes things worse. Um, my mother does a lot of really awesome stuff in my community. She looks after a lot of our youth, and a lot of the kids that we do have around. There's like obviously like cousins and family and people like young ones that are. In our community, you can see, even though, you know, they might not be the one who's locked up, they might be in care because they've had a family member who is right now or they're in rehabilitation, or they might not be mentally or financially or socially stable to be able to look after their own kids. My mum does a lot of sort of, like, mentoring and fostering in that, and seeing how that affects young ones as well, like... Not having people there, and sort of well, we're really lucky in our community because we can we try to like snatch them up as quick as we possibly can, so they're still kept around, but it's it shouldn't be the fact that we have to be doing that in the first place. they should be able to comfortably be with their family and not have to take on these I will call them like micro traumas. Mm-hmm. In a way, because, yeah, you don't really realize kind of growing up, especially if it's like a systematic thing, Mm -hmm. it's something that you experience through your parents and the environment that you go around and the people that you're surrounded with, that because it's okay for everybody Mm -hmm. and it's something that everybody goes through, that it's a normal process. Mm -hmm. It's not seen... In our communities, and it's really good that I think that we've been recognizing it lately about like looking at things like mental health and how our experiences, even though we may laugh about them when we look back at them and joke about it, that they have made extremely significant impacts on our lives both positively because. As I, I think one of the main things that's been a theme here is growth mm-hmm. and how people grow, and especially strong women grow the best in, like, in adversity. Mm-hmm. But it takes a giant toll as well, and you don't even realize that it's doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's incredible that there are all these women doing
4: this work, but as you're saying, they shouldn't have to do this work because there should be these structural changes so people don't, you know, they don't have access to healthcare, or they don't have access to the support that they need and end up in prison as a result of that. Yeah, yeah.
7: like obviously the justice system does make a giant impact on the rest of our social things. This isn't just an issue when it talks about people getting locked up or people being wrongfully convicted or whatever because... It's such a main part of our society that it it puts the impact on the rest of our um, communities. Um, like for our family specifically, this year we're going through a court case because um, the New South Wales whole system like failed us. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, my mother's cousin had a newborn child, had been taking it to a hospital to try to get it. Um, you know, treat it, like get it checked on and that um and that newborn passed away because the hospital essentially just refused entry and refused like medication and treatment. Um she had passed away this year as well. She had been continually going to the hospital to be like, I have something going on. She had like pains, she could barely move at times and the way that not just her, but the way that this place has been told like we've been hearing how they've been treating indigenous people she had passed away this year as well so they're obviously neglecting us as a people because some of our core social sti- like systems in australia they they feed off of each other so it's affecting every aspect of our life so of that it's education it's Treatment that we get in the streets—it's a whole broad aspect, and that's obviously why this is so important. Is because it's breaking it from the ground up, essentially, and
4: holding these institutions to account, like with this court case, that they shouldn't
7: be able to get away with this. Yeah. I think uh, something was really awesome about like where we are right now is that we we have so much more room to have our voices heard like social media and sort of like the access of technology and like internet and all that sort of stuff it allows us to be able to be able to spread this sort of message around because one of the ways that I like talking about it is I went to a really 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 good high school and so it's like it's like ranked like one of the best in the whole, like, the whole of Australia. In our semester of, like, Australian history, we spent, I think, a lesson and a half on Aboriginal history. And that literally only covered, like, us being, like, before colonialism. And then when they settled, and then we got to the gold mines, and then it was 1901, and then we learnt about Federation. Mm. And it was, like even then, like, that's a form of oppression because people have no idea that there is obviously a whole bunch of history that's been skipped over, but, like, it's still happening and everyone that isn't Indigenous is still benefiting from it in a form, but, yeah, there's just this idea of, like, we're in this place now that we can share all this information and we can get things out, like... We had people today that were Skyped in mm-hmm. to talk to us and to be a part of panels and being able to contact these people, like, we've, I don't think we'd be able to do this unless you had like a really good phone yeah. service yeah. like 10 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah.
4: The solidarity that can, yeah, with these transnational movements. I just want to ask one more question maybe. Um, Kind of, I guess, because we're on the last day of the conference, how do you feel kind of coming to the end of this and in terms of moving forward? Do you think that this kind of sounds like, you know, there's a sense that the movement is building in momentum? Or do you think that's
7: true? 100%. I think one of the really good things that's been shown is that there has been progress happening. Like, it hasn't been going on with the flat out projects that we have here, and they've been helping out in that, I, this is like the first time I've heard of it, but hearing the sort of milestones, whether you see them as big or small, they're steps in anything. So having that sort of momentum at one is just huge in itself because I don't know, like big or small, changes change. Is change. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day... If we're moving forward, it's only going to happen quicker. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
4: What was that analogy we heard from Judy this morning? You, uh, the elephant one?
7: Oh, yeah.
0: You can, you need- how do you start eating an elephant one bite at yeah. a time?
7: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, there's this really good one that I heard. It was about how, um, it was about like commenting about like people's actions yeah. and what they do, and it's like, you may feel that whatever you do is like a drop in the ocean, but what is the ocean? It's a million of tiny drops of water. So every little bit, no matter how big or small, is adding on to the bigger impact that this is going to make in the future. It might not be next year. It might not be in the next 10 years, but it's going to get better because we have so many people now to not only stand up and push these things forwards, but we're able to get this information out yes. and have more ears to hear our voices. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's been a really awesome week.
4: <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
3: That's right. moly! I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m., Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of All Things Black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and
6: people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture
3: and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you
7: Thursdays
0: at 2. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with Ayan, George and myself, Anya. We miss you, Lauren. We hope to see you soon. So that was part two of uh, one of the vox pops that we did at the Imagining Abolition Conference, organised by Sisters Inside. That was Sky, um, and that was a really, really great interview, George. Well done. Next up, we have a song. It's called "Shook" and it's by Raja (laughs) Kumari.
1: Let's
10: begin.
0: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. That was Shook by Raja Kumari, my new favorite artist. Very underrated Canadian Indian mixes a
3: lot of um, Carnatic fusion music, etc. So so good, mm, so good. I think I, I'm gonna have to put that on my um, playlist, my gym playlist. <laughs> It's funny because I don't go to the gym. <laughs> I mean, I have a membership, but I never, ever go. But that's not the point. On the phone, we have writer, director, Kalu O. G. to chat with us about his latest film, Blackwood. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Kalu.
11: Hey, 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 hey. How's it going?
3: We are sweet. Um... But let's start the conversation with, by looking at what inspired you to get into film.
11: Um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's a good question. I think um, I've always been really interested in storytelling. Um, and my mother's also an anthropologist. I think that's definitely rubbed off in ways which I'm now realising. Um, but yeah, when I was like 13, 14, I just started playing around with a camcorder. And, you know, making some really, really, really bad little videos. Mm, Um, And it just grew from there, I guess. Um, The first three kind of, you know, longer films I made were all about the same thing and exploring masculinity and being, um, I don't know, teenage and angsty. And it was, um, (laughs) I thought thought it was really profound back then. (laughs) Um,
5: As you do, as you
3: do. (laughs) Your tears are the greatest, yeah.
11: Yeah, it was kind of like that. That experience of, um, I guess, validating my own experiences and then feeling empowered through the reception that got, or through how I felt about watching it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, so I just mm-hmm. kept on, kept on keeping on.
3: And 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 look what came from it. In your crowdfunding <laughs> video for Blackwood, you mentioned self love and empowerment as key drivers for the film. Why did you want mm. to make a feel-good movie?
11: Mm. Um, I think, uh, first of all, everything I made up until this film was, like, really sad. So I was like, this film, I was kind of like, I definitely need a change. Um, but I think on a more personal and probably um, more specific level, I guess just, like, thinking about identity... I'm constantly aware of, like, you know, every aspect of identity um, that influences my life. And there's a lot of privileges to that, being, you know, being male, um, being biracial, being light-skinned. Mm. But regardless, I think, as an African-Australian or, I guess, any person of colour or, you know, um, in common bracket, things minority, um, it's very easy to feel frustrated um, all the time about the politics that influence your lives, whether it's all the, you know, systematic stuff, Um it's been said over centuries, whether it's like a subtle difference of treatment, whether it's um, some of the more extreme examples, Mm -hmm. um, you can't not acknowledge that. And this film was wanting to be, you know, um, I'm angry about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I love rest and I love feeling, in quotations again, normal. Um, So uh, this film was kind of trying to explore these things, but at the same time, just being able to breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was me wanting to kind of, uh, explore and be like, here, this is what is wrong. Um, but at the same time, not, I don't know, come out of it this feeling completely down or completely kind of upset. I mean, this film was kind of made for children, it was made for my little brother and sister as well. or Like, not just for mm. children, it's for everyone. But like, mm. I, I, I think uh, I wanted it to be acknowledged in, sorry, sorry, experienced in lots of different ways. So, like, if you're a 10 year old kid watching it, you can watch it and there's funny moments and there's, you know, you can see yourself on screen or you can just kind of laugh if you're a 40-year-old um person who, you know, has maybe lived through a few more experiences that kid hasn't lived through, hopefully. Um You can see every little subtle nuance or mm. um a glance or exchange and be like, ha-ha, okay. There's there's I don't know, there's different ways to read it. So I guess on the surface, yeah, I wonder if you feel good.
3: But yeah, 100%. experience in lots of ways. And that's something that we will um, look at further into the interview about um, the fixation on black trauma and um, balancing that off with just telling stories where we live our life just like everyday living. Um, but during the make, not making, but while you were crowdfunding, um, you met your target of 7,000 at such a short time. Which I guess must make you feel super excited, knowing that people support your vision.
11: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was that was like that was so such an overwhelming feeling of, um, uh, I guess, happiness, being like grateful. Um, but yeah, like like the crowdfunding campaign. And like, yeah, the money re-raised and also just like kind of talking to the community and talking to people. And once people had seen the campaign, um, having discussions about what the film was about and what it was trying to explore. And like, it, it, it just felt more and more important as, you know, as we put it out there more and more, like the reception we got was, I don't know, people, it's, it's something that's missing. The Australian film industry mm-hmm. is so, so um, it's lacking any colour a
5: hundred um, yeah.
11: especially it's like representation of the African community in the Australian media it's like at a very all time low right now mm. um, so it's feeling yeah it's, it's so
3: cool and your latest project Blackwood can you tell us what that is about
11: um, yeah so it's I'm trying to remember the bio off the top of my head, yeah. um, but yeah, it's basically like a comedy drama. Um, it's set in the uh, town of Blackwood, um, and it follows Mary and David. Um, Mary's a uh, uh, writer, and David's a soccer player. A mm. mother and son, and they both kind of have big events that happen in their day, and they both go uh, disappointingly, and then at the end of the day, they're kind of able to overcome it. 'cause of you know, their familial bond. Um and then I guess there's also like yes, a spoken word, um throughout there which touches on the bigger like the bigger themes. I was I was hoping for Blackwood it's the sort of film that can almost be read in two ways where at one time this is a, a narrative of a mother and a son um having, you know, kind of bad days and then um getting over it through being resilient and then at the same time um, there's also this narrative of being like a kind of socio-political comment on mm. you know, modern Australia and the, and the things that maybe haven't been talked about in this country on screen yet.
3: And can I ask because you use the medium of spoken word not just in Blackwood mm. but in your other short film which is Loving Yourself is there a reason why you use that medium?
11: Mm, um, yeah, I think... Uh, um,
3: oh, and shout-out to Seretti, um who's a yeah. poet, who um, whose poem that you used in Loving
11: Yourself. Yeah, yeah that was beautiful. And shout-out to Nakia as well.
3: Yeah, oh, my God. Gorgeous um, sister, yes. But, <laughs>
11: um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's just... It, it holds a lot of power um it it kind of for me as well i'm i'm, I'm into music uh, i like writing i guess maybe it's yeah it just it comes from that mm. um, I, I think i think when people can use words like that it's beautiful i mean like when you looking at someone like Siretti, um the, like the way she uses her poetry is just like you know it, it gives you chills when you when you listen um so I guess, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in
3: using that. Yeah, because even without the video, when she recites poetry, for those who haven't had the opportunity to hear her, it's so incredible, it's so vivid. And then now, then to have a video accompany the poem, it's just, yeah, it's very nice. I feel like my ears were tickled, my eyes were tickled. It really <laughs> fixed all my senses, which is good. Um even though Blackwood, um, getting back to Blackwood, even though that film touches on universal themes of resilience and self-worth, it's safe to assume that race and identity play an overarching role. Why was it important to make a film about a black family without going down the route of trauma porn?
11: Um, it's a really good question as well. Yeah. Um, I think, first off, I think there's probably too much of that, and maybe relating back to what I was saying before, when you're, uh, when when you're any minority in this world, in um, quotations, mm. um, it's you, you're just constantly reminded of the politics that surround your life. You, you're constantly kind of being um, thrown back there, or i oh, i don't know um, given representation, which is very necessary, like the um but also it is very easy to feel down about also for um for most of i thought like for at least me for my family um my reality for the most part. It's a micro. It's a small, everyday things. You know, mm-hmm. it's a difference in the way someone speaks to me than they speak to someone else. It's a difference in, um, you know, going to the supermarket and my experience there. It's it's not. Um, uh, I guess the the trauma porn. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess is wanting to firstly explore my own reality um, and put on put something on screen that it was ordinary for me mm. it was very much inspired by Mimo Mimo's um, producer she's overseas right now but well, shout, shout out, out to Mimo
3: <laughs> who also um, has a website but, that we want to promote um, which yeah. is a decolonizing Lens was
11: it? Got decolonizing Screens Screens apologies De- see, Decolonizing see, yeah. Screens
3: which we'll share on all of our platforms Yep.
11: yeah um but, yeah, the film that we've connected with most over is this film called Losing Ground by Kathleen Collins. And it's, like, um, it was shot in uh, 1982 or something. But it's this it's this film that explores, like, uh, this um, falling down of a marriage. And it's kind of... I saw it when I was, I think, 17 or 18. Um, and it was the first film where I could watch it and the, the characters in the film, um, they weren't purely subjects of their own race. It's like they're allowed to have lives, mm. or they're allowed, to have, they're allowed to breathe before any sort of structures of race um, kind of directly impacted their world. At, at the same time, that was definitely acknowledged, and that it's incredibly important to acknowledge. But it's like they were made human, whereas I feel like, you know, a lot of films that kind of explore themes of race, it, it's, it's it can be incredibly dehumanising. Um, Absolutely. Every, yeah. Like- um
3: even with the film that came out, Detroit, which was supposed to be sold as, like, like what happened to the black folks during the Detroit, mm. riot, But there's always a white person to sort of, I guess, offset the blackness, to kind of neutralize everything. And I guess I that's... Imagine. Sorry, you want to say?
11: Oh, no, yeah, I was disagreeing with you, sorry. <laughs> Don't
3: yeah. <love> you. <laughs> And and, and and for our listeners, this isn't to say that movies that deal with racial trauma aren't needed or important, but they're also not the only story that we have to offer.
11: Yeah, definitely. And I think also something as, like, um, uh, more specifically to, like, being African-Australian, I think our, our community here is incredibly young. Like, I don't know anyone my dad's age who didn't migrate here, um so when I was growing up and kind of looking for a sense of identity, it's like you're constantly outsourcing, you're constantly going to America or Mm. to the UK to kind of find your identity or to seek belonging. Um, And you know, a lot of the stories, America has a very different history in terms of like um, African-Americans and African-Australians. There's lots of universal crap that's happened, um, but... uh, my yeah our reality as African Australians is going to be very 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 different um to someone who was born and raised in america um so so I guess it's kind of uh yeah, trying to acknowledge that um but but i don't know make something real and mm-hmm. also not going to this thing sorry, I'm rambling now
3: no, I love it i love but, uh, <laughs> it i I'll, I'll <laughs> let you know when you're when you're going overboard trust me okay. I'll reel you in. <laughs> all right
11: um but I think also as well. We're in this time now where diversity is like a buzzword, and it's suddenly it's it's, re- it's really cool to put, you know, like a Sudanese person next to an Asian person, <laughs> next to a Caucasian person on screen, um, and kind of be like, like, we're also, like, we're all very diverse, and we can kind of forget, um, about everything, and everyone's, you know, everyone's equal now, and that's how it's kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, that makes me, that's a whole other conversation that I'm not going to dive into right now, because it makes me very frustrated. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, uh, where, where, was, where was I going with this? Uh, I guess this is like, yeah, the, um, uh, a- a- attempting to tell the African-Australian experience um, in in a way that's, you know, uh, ordinary and that I know and that the, uh, mm. the people around me know. Um, but still at the same time, like, acknowledge, like, I mean, or definitely at the same time, just acknowledging the, the, the politics uh, that are going to influence his character's lives.
3: Mm. And even though we're black, Africans are obviously a lot different to First Nation communities, right? We all fall mm. under the umbrella of blackness. But it's also nerve-wracking knowing that you and and other Africans coming a- up are the pretty much the catalyst for what the future will look like, which is pretty daunting, but it's also exciting times. Um, with Blackwood, where can our listeners um, go see it?
11: So it's me playing at ACME as part of the VCA grade program. Um, There's a session this Sunday at 7.30, and then I think Saturday the 15th at 5pm, and plays like in a program with a few other short films, or a lot of other short films, which are...
3: Beautiful, and I've already bought my ticket because that's how I get down, so I'm really (laughs) excited. Thank you so much, Kalu.
11: Thank you for having me.
3: Um, Blackwood is directed by Kalu Oji, produced by Mimo Muki, and Gabrielle Francis is the director of photography. You can catch Blackwood at the Australian Centre for Moving Images on either the 9th or 15th of December. Tickets are available via the Acme website. You can also call Acme on 8663 220 to see if you can buy the tickets at the door.
5: In the
2: summer! Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park, and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, We're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR at those summer festivities. Call the station between 9 to 5 on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Then you can drop into our Fitzroy Studios to collect before the 21st of December. Small Patch Wine Store is a 3CR supporter.
3: Welcome back, if you're listening, well, welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast, um, Ayan, who is stumbling over her words. Across from me is Anya, George, uh, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. So last week, thanks to a nudge from West East Women's Health, we made a pledge to focus on more, interv- more interviews that tackle gender violence. This pledge is part of the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender Violence. To help us with our pledge, we have on the line Jumana El matra the CEO of the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Jumana. Oh,
10: good morning. Thank you for having me on.
3: No, thank you for coming on. And so early as well, we know you're driving. So if we do experience any technical difficulties, um, we'll hopefully fix that as soon as possible um so your organization is made up of muslim women that support and promote the well-being of other muslim women however you're a non-religious non-sectarian organization why the distinction
10: look it's a really interesting question um and i think it's usually one that really only comes up um, in the Western context, because in Muslim-majority countries, um, uh, M- Muslim women have these organisations all the time. But um, the main reason we do it in Australia is that Muslim community is highly diverse. Mm. And um, to, to suggest that you can have one view of Islam that represents everybody... Appropriately and ethically is probably a myth, and so that's why we draw the line
3: yeah, when I think and about it, Oh, I
10: oh, no, I was just going to say that um uh, that we that in, in addition to that being Muslim women um empowering ourselves is itself a very powerful tool, and that's why we privilege the employment of Muslim women, hm.
3: Mm. And um, that's that's excellent. And it's also, when you think about, like, the different sects of Islam, like, within those sects, there's, like, a hundred branches. So it would be kind of hard to, like, fall under one umbrella. So it's good to um, use, I guess, our gender as a way to unify us. One of your resources, Islam Opposes Violence, book, challenges the myth that Islam condones gender violence, in one section of the book, Islamic scriptures, which are the Hadith or the Quran, um are quoted to denounce family violence. Why is this practice important?
10: Because we have so long, or I should say some men for so long, um, have successfully argued that um, any change to the welfare of women, any change to their increase in status any argument against men being able to use force against women are simply Western values that are being imported.
5: Mm. Um,
10: Now, you know, this is, um, as a Muslim, it's a highly offensive idea. And this idea that Islam uh, doesn't value the integrity of women and human beings above all else, is also, um, uh, you know, an incorrect and uh, an Islamophobic idea. And it doesn't matter that Muslim men, the men themselves have been saying it. Mm. Um, and the other thing is also that uh, it is a way to really speak to women's hearts. Um, any sort of uh, a promotion of values, any sort of reclaiming of faith, has, has to actually deal with the text and content of what Islam is. And that's why we really use the faith, um, and we don't ordinarily use it,
5: mm. but
10: that's why we use the faith um, in a very academic way to sort of pr- to promote women's equality um, and actually uh, a non-violent um, mm-hmm. um it, it is unfortunate, but a lot of Muslim women don 't actually understand the level of protection that islam
3: offers them yeah that's yeah that 's exactly what that 's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking that even like as a Muslim woman, there are a lot of things that i don 't know um, when it comes to my rights, and I guess it also falls on where I get the information from and knowing that all the information is um, held and protected by men, and and the way things are interpreted are interpreted from a male gaze. So, I guess when you and, and
10: and for male interests
3: exactly, exactly. And when you unpack it, you realise. Hang on a sec. Uh, what uncle told me isn't really <laughs> the you know what the Quran and the Hadith say. Um, Going back to gender violence, tackling gender violence requires individual and community level responses. Can you tell us about a program that uses one or both responses?
10: Look, we um, we run so many anti-violence programs that it's hard to just select one. So we work with women on an individual basis, women who are trying to escape violence, but we also run a lot of programs on family violence. Um, Education around the law, um, education around health and well-being, education around what is uh, violence. Um, most people continue to think that hitting a woman is violence, but emotionally and psychologically uh, abusing and demolishing her is not violence. Mm-hmm. And so there's a need for education about this. And so all our programs try to instill that level of awareness and understanding. Um, but we have also done some work now where women themselves become the promoters of anti-violence funds. Mm. And we have worked a lot with um, men to take up the course because uh, really, honestly, without them, we can't do it. Mm. Uh, but I think that a lot of men, not all men, But a lot of men do need women to raise their awareness because they're so sort of embedded in that view of what gender relations is to men and women and that gender relations works for the interest and benefit of men. That it's actually hard for them to understand that, that the gender relations that men have been promoting Is not normal. Is not fair, and and it uh, and really um, undermines society in general.
3: Mm. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, we're we're part of we're doing the 16 days of activism, and as we said, we're trying to focus more on stories that look at gender violence. How do you, Jemana, plan on bringing... um, What tips do you have for us um, to bring, uh, I guess, awareness to gender violence?
10: Look, I mean, I think it's a different approach at different times and it's a different approach depending on who you are. Um, And I think that one of the things that is really important is that people be given strategies that are appropriate for their context. Mm. Some of us can do more than others And some organisations can do more than others And I think that um, now there is so much um, noise about family violence And now we hear a lot about a woman dying a week That it is a really good time for people just to point out Views of gender that are not appropriate If if people are speaking about women in a way that's not appropriate uh, or people are speaking about uh, violence in a way that's not appropriate, at this point in history, in our context in Australia, it's really important to point that out. Mm. Now, you should always do that in a way that keeps you safe. Yes. And it's not that you have to say or do very much. Sometimes all you have to do is point out that you don't, you don't share that view or that view is really not appropriate. Um, change doesn't always happen from the big stuff. Mm. It also happens in the very small day-to-day. Mm. Um, you know, just simply saying things like, you know, I think that those sorts of views contribute to violence. I don't think women should be treated in that way. Um, I know a lot of women who are um, being damaged by violence and those views. They only really have to be small statements. Mm.
3: And you'd be, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised, but sometimes we forget that women are also the vehicles of patriarchy, that we can also reproduce sexist ideas and also condone violence and I guess it's also good for us to sort of unpack that and to also think about our attitudes. Like what is it that we think about ourselves and others that contribute to that violence?
10: Look, absolutely. And I think that there's still a lot of work to be done on why is it that women participate in patriarchy in the, at the levels that they do. Um, and I think we also need to, there's some really hard questions for us around we have had all these years of women's activism and some women have benefited amazingly
5: mm.
10: and some women haven't benefited at all. And some women have forced back. And so these are the questions we, we now need to answer. Mm. Why is it that we're having such a different response? And we need to acknowledge that some women have a lot of power and we need to model that power and not assume all women are um, without any power. Yeah. And where women haven't benefited, we really have to work out why. And we have to work out a way women can support each other. Um, most most especially older women with younger women. Yeah. Um.
3: Yeah, so I think um, there's still some really complex work for yeah. us to do. There is, there is. And um, if any of our listeners who are interested in knowing more about her, um how can they reach out to your organization?
10: Oh, look, simply give us a phone call. We pride ourselves on being very open. Um, so just really call us. You can also email us um, uh, you know, we we really like to be open to people.
3: Absolutely, and and you have some incredible publications and um, reports that are really interesting. And um, yeah, I, I advise our listeners um, get to reading. Thank you so much, Jamana.
10: Thank you. Have a wonderful morning.
3: You too. That was Jemana El Matra, the CEO of the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. Discussing ways her organisation responds to gender violence. For support and information, call the centre on 9481 That's 9481
0: So we're at the end of our show, Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Thank you to all our guests for joining us today, Kalu Oji and Jamana Elmatra. Next up, we have Axe Enough Women, where Giselle is going to be talking about the International um, Day of Disability. Um, and tomorrow on Wednesday Breakfast, there's Monica Kelly, there's Professor Helen Berry and Dr. Tim Jones on the show. So uh, stay tuned.